together started and uh, we call it a quilting session it's actually a high level discussion of very deep history and law concepts and uh, things that are going on and help to give you your sanity maybe even your freedom if uh, you so desire it's not my call that one's yours uh nobody in the room yet i'm expecting a few folks in this morning looks like we're on the air and everything is copacetic with all of our instruments here yeah uh roger sales your host moderator injector of ideas and concepts at the radio ranch here at the people's patriot network our show date stamp today july the 30th one day left in the month of july an important month for me personally in many many ways and Actually, tomorrow is the, uh, when I first started this, I had been a guest, a guest on a number of shows from, you know, Jeff Bennett and a number of other people. And then I started doing a weekly appearance with Al Adisk and, um, we were going to do a show together because we had real good chemistry on the air, kind of like Brent and I, actually I owe Al Adisk a a lot of big debt of gratitude because he's the one that gave us the presumption of law concept. And uh, we were going to start a show together, and at the last minute it kind of fell apart. And I said, well, I, it's already been announced. I'm, I'm going to do this, and so I'll just do it on my own. Uh, it's kind of scary, you know, even with my background at that point. But you launch off on it, you step through the veil of fear and step forward, and here we are a number of years later and uh got our own platform we don't have to be interrupted with rude commercial interruptions so that we can get into some of these very very interesting there's a reason for that don't think it's just out of happenstance because i know oh only too well how difficult it is to get your arms around these concepts we discuss and to get the wherewithal as you address the trap that they've so skillfully laid and executed on us. And so uh, no, no commercials because we can get into those kind of discussions and it's really to help everybody. Um, and here we are. we got our own little show. and Jim Ram's with us. DJ's with us. we got a whole network, a lot of spaces. Uh, uh, you know, the, maybe they'll fill in. Maybe they won't. I've quit beating myself up about it. And uh, uh, But we've got the platform and... Fortunately, we've had liaisons with people like Paul English, who is uh, more or less a, a father to our network because he's the one that will allow us put it, to put it together here and have nice folks like Chris join us. Hey, Chris, good morning. Yep, he's looking for his mute button. Well, Maybe. good. Yep, I had to bring it up to the forward. Good morning to you, Roger. Yeah. Uh, already up and at him here in Las Vegas. Yep. Well, I've established uh, uh, communications with Amanda and Alan, and I'm sure they're going to join us today, too. And she said she even had a friend that uh, 
uh, is interested in this that was probably going to join us. And she said, but he's real skeptical, and he thinks everybody's going to get arrested. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, again, again, you know, when you catch them at their fraud game, they get caught with their pants down. Now, I did have an interesting, so we'll wait and see if they join us tonight, uh, today. Uh, maybe something came up. Who knows? Um, well, you, you honestly never know around here, and that's just on a normal day without all these circumstances that are whirling around us. By the way, I just saw right before the show, uh, Herman Cain died this morning of coronavirus and had been hospitalized for a while. It's too bad to lose him. He was a... <laughs> He is a, uh, uh, one of those good, solid, uh, you know, elder statesmen, black guys. Uh, uh, he was uh, Federal Reserve chairman of Kansas City or something, I think. And then he retired from that. And got, yeah, got into uh, politics, ran for president, and he was the vice chair of the Blacks for re-election of Trump campaign. So no doubt he's going to be keenly missed. He, he would just inked a deal on a new, some sort of a new show on one of the networks or something. So anyway, he'll be missed. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, as I was listening to the news, well, the guy was just describing, well, he'd gone in, had the ventilator. You know, it sounded to me like the treatment that he went over on the video, a short video I listened to from Fox, was they did all the wrong stuff, you know. Putting you on a ventilator is like a death sentence with this because you're not addressing the problem. Well, you know, I've actually met Herman Cain before, and he was a pretty healthy sort of guy. So yeah. the uh, suggestion that COVID and the well, ventilator got him is uh, probably a financial interest in whoever well, declared him to be that way. He, he might have had a heart attack yeah, or he, old age or whatever else. He uh, he was 74, <laughs> and he had beaten stage 4 colon cancer. So he, he had some uh, some systems. And they mentioned in the little segment, too, that that black folks are a little more – uh, susceptible to the bad effects of coronavirus, you know, that might have some ethnicity fingerprints on it. Who knows? Uh, anyway, that uh, happened. I wanted to announce that. Uh, I thought it was not, a, you know, something worth talking about. Um, but, Seems like uh, black conservatives are high value targets, along with uh, white conservatives. Right, I, th black th I, think, value targets. I think any uh, any of that group is combined, man. They're after all of us. I, that's why I keep going back in my own private thoughts, and I just see them pulling the string on going for the golden ring. They they saw that if they don't do that now, they probably will never get at least not get a chance for a long, long time. And I think that's what we're seeing out there. Um, but rather than dwell on all the political stuff, I, you know, we ha ended on such a nice note yesterday and having Amanda and Alan and getting to go back to some of these basics and intricacies and stuff. And then last night, one of our older uh, listeners, I mean older in the standpoint he's been around a few years, uh, who doesn't come on the show or anything, but he communicates with me. And um, he used to live out in California. He's one. He, like many people, uh, you know, that get into this and you go home and talk to your family and they think you've absolutely, totally lost your mind. You guys know the scene. And he went through that and ended up moving to Texas uh, a few years back. And I know uh, he's been working, trying to, you know, make ends meet like everybody else. At one point he was doing something for H&R. He was uh, doing H&R Block tax stuff. So anyway, I got this email from him. And uh, it's a very interesting situation, Chris, from a number of standpoints. Uh, I've kind of put him and Brian together, hopefully. And uh, let me read what he wrote to you. And uh, 
is if I can get over here and read right and get the microphone right and all this stuff. Uh, I filed my affidavit in early 2017. I believe he did it with a passport. I don't remember. Don't know specifically. Maybe he'll tell us. So it predated all of my interactions since then. Parentheses, including my proper ID on every I-9 as a U.S. national. So there's an important clue. Every time he's gotten a job, he's put U.S. national on his I-9. So because the NCIS background check form to purchase a firearm requires one attest that one's ID reflects one's true address. I am trying to change the address on my driver's license. I have found out that I cannot change the address on my driver's license, my telephone, online, or by mail. By telephone, online, or by mail. Uh, DMV, in Texas, it's DPS, requires me to make the change in person with assorted items of identification, parentheses, all of which I have, including passport, passport card, there it is, B, uh, BC, birth certificate, driver's license, uh, concealed carry, uh, social security number, and DD-214. Well, he's got a, he, This is real ID. It's pretty, he pretty much got them all, you know, I guess. Maybe there's some others. I don't know. He sounds like he's covered the gamut. I finally ferreted out and was told that the reason for this, here's where it's going to get interesting, Chris. The reason for this is that my license was flagged as non-citizen, in quotation marks, and they want me to, quotation marks, prove I am, quotation marks, legally present, quotation marks, in the United States. I do not directly know how DPS, the uh, traffic thing, became aware of this non-citizen status license attribute, but I have put my affidavit, quote-unquote, out there, locally and regionally because of the covid stupidity the first available in-person appointment is december 18th of 2020 <laughs> i will let you know how this quote-unquote confrontation plays out after that appointment date if you currently have any words or wisdom observations he'd sure appreciate them and that's why i wanted to read that thank you jeff um what an interesting situation okay and as i well, think um, go ahead and make your comment might, might observe that there is actually a law title 18 usc 911 that requires you to prove that you're a u.s citizen and anybody that can't is committing a felony crime Although I don't think there's any parallel requirement to prove that you're a non-citizen national, and hold I'd it. like to see him rebut the Secretary of State. He's not a non-citizen national. He's not American Samoan. Remember, 
on the certificate of non-citizen nationality, the preceding statement says all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals, and then it identifies the non-citizen nationals. Okay. Yes. So what is happening here, evidently, it seems to me, and I wanted to put it out for discussion. It's interesting. He doesn't have a a, a get together with him for months, but that's if there is any question on his non-citizen aspect just to take that department of state document in there and point out that sentence to them and say i'm a national but i'm a citizen according to the state department right here i can be a citizen i choose to be a national they're different that's what the affidavit says now we're going to get back to what brian howard because you see what are they talking about questioning him his address Right. I've had some. Oh, ho, ho, no, hold yeah, let, let, Let's let's explore this for a second. It's very critical. Okay, what are they doing? Asking for an address? They're reverting back to the in their law books the geographical identification of residency, where it says if you've been in the state for longer than thirty days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they're wanting to tag the address to that definition of residency where this is not that type of residency. This is the residency to the 14th Amendment. Okay, so it's going to be very interesting. I put him in touch with Brian because, you know, in Brian Howard's experience, where he went all the way up to the director of transportation of the state of Idaho in this lawsuit, guy was scared as hell of him i can tell you that just you could get the tone from the way they handled it and the language in the documents that were exchanged okay i mean i don't know if you remember the situation but brian went in went through they I said I, they, well we can't well, for the audience it might not we can't issue uh, the girl the clerk says he said well let me talk to your supervisor she turns him down he says, well, you know, we know here that what you do is you exhaust your administrative remedies. So he said, who do I talk to to exhaust my administrative remedies? And they set him up in Idaho. They didn't do it with somebody inside the government, inside the transportation department. They hired outside lawyers. And so the guy wrote Brian a letter, and he said, uh, we'll have a phone conversation, your appeal, and this time, 5 o'clock on this date. Well, Brian was already, and the guy missed the appointment. And he was like late and Brian just burned his ass right there from the start. He set the tone. Okay. And that ended up going all the way to the director of transportation of the state of Idaho who would never sign anything. I think we had two, at least two, maybe three pieces of correspondence from him. I think it was two, and he wouldn't sign it. He had somebody else sign it. And when I tell you that you couldn't have interpreted that signature with the Rosetta Stone, I swear to you that's true, okay? And he was scared to sign something. And the very last letter when we got his his little bureaucratic butt back right up in the corner, he said we can't issue driver's license to anybody that's not a resident. State-issued driver's license to anybody that's not a resident of the state. So that's where the rubber's meeting the road here. And it would be very interesting to see, obviously, they've got these databases tied together and stuff, or they wouldn't have picked it up somehow off of his I-9, and then they go back in, and to cover the fraud, automatically come up with non-citizen national. 
See, now you can go in and start backing them into the corner again with this because you got the State Department document now, which we hadn't had until a year or so ago, thanks to Chris bringing my attention back to it to where I read the thing carefully. So anyway, I wanted to mention that. I put, like I said, Jeff and Brian together, uh, and uh, but I thought it was an extremely interesting point in the fact that something is flagged, and Jeff had been doing everything correct, okay? He's even, like he said, put uh, notice in locally and regionally. So uh, anyway... Interesting stuff that uh, uh, caught my eye last night. I wanted to bring it up. Maybe we'll do, uh, mess with it as we go forward. But it's an interesting scenario. And this is where it's imperative that you understand the information. If Jeff goes to that meeting and he doesn't know any of this stuff, he's going to go in there and they're going to roll over him. But since he does know it and he keeps listening to the show all the time and he hears this stuff over and over and over and over again and it starts to sink in finally, now he's got the uh, the mental prowess and the internal strength to go in and be a belligerent claimant and start shoving the fraud in their face if he wants to. It sounds like he's going to have to. And now you come back, how can you require me to have something that I can't have? So this is where it comes back on the driving license issue. There's fraud in every one of these things, the difference in driving and traveling. And I think to skirt, we got the IRS issue, I believe, solved. Uh, but the driver's license issue, and that goes back to what is your, your driving is your liberty. Okay, locomotion, point A to point B, Blackstone, all right? So they're going down and curtailing your basic liberty here. And as long as you're traveling... You shouldn't have any problems. Now, there's some people that wear both hats. They travel sometime and they drive sometime. Terrence, our good listener Terrence, has got a commercial driver's license. Man, you got to jump through all kinds of hoops to get those things. So, anyway, that's a couple of points. I was hoping Amanda and Alan and whoever else would call in. Looks like Cody joined us, though, and we got Chris. So, Chris, what's your thoughts hey, on Amanda. all that? Hey, Cody, good morning. Hey, let me know. Can you hear a lot of background noise? Nope. Uh, Isaias is bringing in a bunch of terrain up here. No, man, you sound pretty good today. So, uh, you guys, have you ever heard of that banker down there in Ecuador, Isaias? <laughs> he ran no. into some trouble with the government. Lives in Miami now. No, uh, there uh, comical. Yeah, there's some boys that stole tens of millions out of Ecuador. A lot of them moved to the U.S., I know that. What about uh, the whole backlash on the whole continent against China? I was watching a video. I posted it in our forum this morning, uh, Cody. It talks about Ecuador, but the real bi a bigger one than I didn't, that. I didn't. Well, you'll want to watch it. There's some good information in there. One of those countries they've turned against China where they had a, a deal going to lay fiber optic Internet is uh, Chile. And Chile has totally gone with the uh, Japanese proposal, which means that the high-speed Internet will go from Australia to New Zealand to Chile to hook up South America, and it'll terminate in Australia. It won't go to China. So they had an alternate route, and, and, and it was going to evidently go straight back to China. So Chile's made that decision. Argentina has never signed on to the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, they're probably plundering all of this fishery here off the West Coast of South America. It's one of the richest fisheries left in the world. 
Um, and Rent Cody darted out on us. So anyway, that's kind of interesting what's going on down here. Of course, it, a little more relevant to us, but it does have great geopolitical consequences. Um, the world's, uh, or Ecuador's really got them up tight over this fishing fleet that's sitting out there. We talked about on Monday a little bit with Jack. Uh, so that kind of stuff's in the news last few days. Uh, so Chris, what were your observations on, uh, on that letter from Jeff? that little email well i think it's uh, very implicatory that these people absolutely know their posterior from a hole in the ground or they wouldn't be raising these questions with an astute guy like your friend and to prove that you're a dead corporate fictitious entity that congress invented in the 14th amendment uh so they could have control over all their chattel cattle that they like to presume that we chris. are uh, chris you're not a dead corporate entity. You're a damn serf. Well, yeah, but that's what they they consider you a property, and that's why it's in the property office. They think you're a thing, a resident. They sure do. Entity. They sure do. Uh, I was uh, I went out and, and dug out um, that, and I had two of them actually, Chris. I had the um, one from. The insular cases, Downs v. Bidwell. You know that excerpt of that that we cite is is pulled out in Wikipedia and isolated. <laughs> if you go to Downs v. Bidwell in Wikipedia, it pulls that site out of there. I was shocked. Okay. How fortuitous! Uh, but this one is one we talk about, and I usually just paraphrase it. Um and. But I got it in front of me. It's that one I never can. Utimtikai v. DRC. Ah, Urtitiqui versus DRC. I got you. Urtitiqui versus DR Bell. It's not DRC. It's DR Bell. Now, this is the site on this. It goes back to people being doubtful on, on what we're talking about here and it having an effect, Okay. The site on this is nine, and I don't usually do this, but I'm going to in this instance. Nine Peters, Peters, six nine two, and when you're citing Supreme Court cases in the blue book of legal citations, you always put the date. Okay, something a lot of patriots. That's why I keep asking, what's the date? What's the date? Um, because it gives you a time frame. So Peters was the second court reporter of the Supreme Court. And the first one was named, remember what his name was, Chris? I do not. Wheat. W-H-E-A-T. And if you go back to those old books, you'll find a number of books, and some of them are titled Wheat, and the other are titled Peters. Now, those guys were the court reporters, and they did all that on their own because there was no court reporting journal for the Supreme Court decisions in those early years, okay? Now, Peters here, and it ends shortly after this and goes into what we, the Supreme Court reporter, which you'd be familiar with, Chris. Um, but this was 18, excuse me, 1835. And it can, it, the case revolves around a guy, and he ha had a passport issue of some type and i don't remember all the specifics of the case but it came down to the supreme court and this was the site from that case it's never been overruled because they can't overrule it also 
remember in that time frame that this is before the 14th Amendment. 20 years, okay? It, in brackets, a passport, so that you know what the previous dialogue is referring to. It, a passport, is a document which, from its nature and object, is addressed to foreign powers, purporting to only be a request that the bearer of it may pass safely and freely, and it is to be considered rather in the character of a political document, a political document by which the bearer is recognized in foreign countries as an American citizen and which by usage and the law of nations is received as evidence of that fact. But this is a very different light from that in which it is to be viewed in a court of justice where the inquiry is as to the fact, fact of citizenship. It is a mere ex parte certificate referring to the passport. It's only, it's a separate part. And if founded upon any evidence produced by the Secretary of State establishing the fact of citizenship, that evidence, if of a character admissible in a court of justice, ought to be produced upon the trial as the higher and better evidence of the fact. Could they have put it any more plainly? We got fact, we got evidence, we got political documents, we got all that stuff in that short site. Now, when you apply for a passport, you can go watch its progress online. If you call the State Department, they'll give you the way to do it. Or lack thereof. There, no, there's a way you can track your... It's just like you can go in and track your FedEx or UPS thing or your post office deal. You can do the same thing with your, with your passport. As Chris, your situation is cattywampus and cannot be used as illustration. Okay. The normal person that hadn't gotten themselves in the wall of molasses already can go online and check the progress of their passport. And in there at least twice, because it's Amanda's friend DJ that did it. I didn't know all this before she got squirrely because her passport wasn't back in 72 hours. Oh, 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 oh. And I, she, I said, we'll call the State Department. She did. They said, go here and track it. And she got back to me and said, look at this, what it says right here. I said, snip it. And she snipped it, okay? Twice in there it says your citizenship evidence and your passport will be sent back to you in separate cover. Okay, now 
What we do know is that sometimes they don't send back the affidavit. Sometimes they do, evidently. I'm not sure of their internal protocols. I just know that once you send it, it's considered to be received, just like the IRS does to you. They can take your last known address and send you some letter you owe us a gazillion dollars, and whether you're in Timbuktu or not, it's going to attach to you, and you're considered to have received it. Same way, it goes both ways. Okay. So uh, I wanted to read that. I thought that was uh, uh, pretty important. And uh, something must have come up with our, our newer students because we hadn't heard from them today. Cody's popped in and out a couple of times. It is a Thursday, of course. Yeah, the rain's, you got rain the rain's up? affecting the signal bad here. Yeah, okay, so you got some rain yeah. going on. Well, it's a pretty day in Ecuador, and uh, uh, nice. Looks like it's going to be a nice day. I got to get out and get my beard and haircut this afternoon. So probably after the show, that's what one of the things I'm going to get done. Um, Are you looking like a wild man? Well, I, I yeah, I had I had one done right at, as soon as we could get out after that 90 days or whatever we're cooped up, and there was a barber shop open. And I got it, but I, it was so long then. I think it's the longest it's ever been that I could ever remember. I, just, I didn't want to chop it back to almost nothing, so I told them to cut it about halfway and everything, and I'd come back, and it's that comeback dates here. So uh, go get clean again a little bit. And uh, But everything's real quiet. People are in a real weird mental mood. I think that uh, every, the psychology of this globally has got to be just oppressive, really. And uh, there's a gray person that might be, is that Amanda? Yes, it is. Hey, Amanda. I know what you look like. Uh, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I was just reading something that was kind of addressed to you guys. I don't, did you happen to hear that, what I just read? No, I just got on. Okay. Um, Amanda had a video on there for a moment. Yeah, she did. Uh and uh, and I and of course we discourage it simply because of a bandwidth issue because you, you were real pretty and all and you were eating breakfast or something there, um, which Brent does a lot on the air. Chris does too. Uh, I was reading a case here that you know is not in the book. You haven't seen it and being exposed to this because I didn't have it when the book was written. And some listener sent this to me. God bless him. I don't know who it was. Okay, in the early days. Um, In this, our defense, I'm going to cite uh, Janis Joplin. Get it while you can. Yep. Uh, so this is is a, 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 a testifies to everything we're doing. All right, and it gives you some insight as to why and what's going on here and why this is effective. And uh, it was an eight, 1835 Supreme Court case. It's got a unbelievably difficult style of the title. Tell her what is what is it again, Chris? Well, you uh, changed a little bit, but it's Ertiqui versus. It, we used to cite Dr. So you said Dr. Bell. It, Maybe you could spell a Dr. Bell for it's us. It's D with a uh, a little hy uh, hyphen, you know, and then capital A R B E L. Um, the, the, this was a case over passports and citizenship in 1835 in the Supreme Court, Amanda. And I'm just, I, I read it, but I'll read it again. It, 
a passport in brackets, just so you can refer back to the context. It, a passport, is a document which, from its nature and object, is addressed to foreign powers, purporting to only be a request that the bearer of it may pass safely and freely, and it is to be construed Considered, excuse me, considered rather in the character of a political document by which the bearer is recognized in foreign countries as an American citizen and which by usage and the law of nations, very important, is reached as evidence, is received, excuse me, my eyesight's a little weird and I'm looking to the side, is received as evidence of that fact. But this is a very different light from that in which it is to be viewed in a court of justice where the inquiry is as to the fact of citizenship. It, the passport, is a mere ex parte certificate, and if founded upon evidence produced to the Secretary of State establishing the fact of citizenship, that evidence, if of a character admissible in a court of justice, ought to be produced upon the trial as higher and better evidence of the fact." That's 1835. Realize that's before there was a secondary status via the 14th Amendment. And as I told the audience right before you joined us, it was your friend, our mutual friend, DJ, that gave us the real insight into this. Has she, she probably hasn't told you that story, has she? No, I don't think I've heard that. Well, she was real. You know how she is, all right? And she was real antsy because she'd send it in and they didn't have it back in like 72 hours or something, you know. And so, Roger, Roger, I need to find out about my passport. I said, well, why don't you call them and ask them about it? So she called the 800 number up there and they said, well, you can track your passport online. Really? And then she's calling me going, Roger, you're not going to believe what it says here. I had her snip it. I, I probably have lost it, but she might have it. But two times in the passport thing online on the progress of it, it mentioned her citizenship evidence. Now, I'm going to tell you, the State Department d does not parse words. And when they say evidence as it attaches to that affidavit, they mean evidence, and that 1835 court site I just read you is why. Okay, got it. Okay. So um, did you have a, a, a little any noodling time since we were together yesterday? Any additional questions or where you'd like to kick this off today or where to go? Is Alan with us also? Um, he went out, he's running errands. Uh -huh. Um, he said he would try to get on when he's driving and stuff. So okay. I'm not sure if he's listening, okay. but, okay. um, okay. I'm taking notes for him. All right. Well, we can yeah, always, I have one question. you can always re-listen. You know, I posted yesterday's show as I do all, all every day show on cast box when I don't, when they don't give me trouble for one reason or another, okay. 
but I get well, them I up. I don't there. know where that is. Okay, if well, I will. You, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just give it for everybody so everybody benefits from this. Uh, we've got an archive of about almost two years of programs, Amanda, over there now. Oh, wow. And it's cast, like casting a cast net, castbox.fm, frequency modulation. And when you get to that site, they've got a lot of podcasts up there. Just put Radio Ranch in the search bar, and that whole library will pop up for you. Excellent. Thank you. Um, um, the only other – so I had, like, two questions. Okay. I know I'm, I'm very ready to move forward with this. I'm not sure exactly where Alan is, but, you know, we're, we're not the same person. So I understand that. Um I'm trying to figure out, first of all, exactly where to file the affidavit. And do I need to file it with the state where I was born also? Let me give you some background on this. You really don't have to file it in any of those places. But what we're doing by doing that, as I attempted to explain yesterday, was we're seizing the offensive. You know, our buddy Cody here wants to get, oh, well, let's go get, get, get in their face and all this stuff. This is how you get in their face right here. You tell them the whole damn thing's fraud and they know it. All right. Unfortunately, this has to be done on an individual basis because your God given rights is an individual deal. Okay. Whoever you right. perceive God to be, and that is n not my ballywick, you and whatever relationship you got with your whatever creator you perceive is up to you. Okay. I'm trying to get you free. Right. Now, all generally all those roads lead back to a spiritual base and i think that's one of the reasons people don't get this is a pineal gland issue okay um uh, yeah uh but your question was about where do you file it when we started this it was a tax deal some another gray person's joined us and you think that could be your friend it could be Alan or it could be uh, my friend Stoney. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, welcome, great person. Uh, when we first started this, John and Glenn, as you read my book, you know I wrote about them in there. Uh, it was really a tax deal. And so John didn't have the big picture. He had the tax end of it pretty good, though. And we filed it in the place either you were born or that you were living. Now, if I, like you, wanted to cover both bases, and I filed one in Bay County, and I filed one up in Marietta, Georgia, where I was living. Uh, but it's not a necessity, but it gives you an advantage because now you've put them on, all on notice in the public record as to your status. And just because they don't go by and check the property rolls office at the county clerk every day, that's not your fault. It's the same reason the feds that we don't get up every morning and get online and goes zap into the federal register and see what new regulations are proposed. But that's Somebody's our fault because they're giving you notice and they're fulfilling the front end of their obligation. And we're doing the same now that we know what's happening and we can. Okay. Um, so the one notice that you got to file to unleash the shackles is with the Secretary of State because of that exact court site I just read you, uh, all the way back to the founding of the country. Why does the Secretary of State have this uh, responsibility? Is because he's the one that issues passports. 
And to issue the passport, he's got to know who you are politically. It says the passport is a political document. So it wants to know who you are politically. And that's what they've shaded on us, see? Now, what was important in there that I emphasized was the law of nations, because all this goes back to Vattel's law of nations, which every country on the planet signed on to and still adhere to to this day, by the way. Okay. And in the law of nations, I mentioned it yesterday, it says every man has the right of personal political self-determination. You can go live under whatever political system you want to. That's not their choice. It's your choice. Okay. If they tell you what you are politically, well, that's a thing called tyranny. All right? That's why they've gone to this elaborate setup to turn everything back backwards, and they can ask you those two questions. Are you a citizen of the United States, and are you a resident? And you not knowing what they're asking you, say yes, and now they've got what they really want, the big prize, the consent of the governed. See how it works? Early on, in the early days of John and Glenn's teachings, and this is on the on the net. Somebody sent it to me a while back that had stumbled on it. I said, oh, yeah, I saw that when it was the original. Uh, one of the students, John and Glenn had 1,200 students in six months, Amanda, and I was the only one that continued with it. Some of Who are guy, John and Glenn? John and Glenn were my teachers. John Benson, now deceased, about six years, uh, July the 4th he passed. And Glenn Ambort, who is still living and is a dear friend of mine, and the reason that book is the book it is is because Glenn edited it, quite frankly. Um, okay, uh, this is Alan. I was just just, oh. just caught that I'm in the middle of your conversation. Okay, well, it, it's instructive to understand that between the three of us, my contribution included with John and Glenn's, We've put over a hundred years of our lives into unraveling this thing. Okay. So we don't come by the things we talk about here lightly. So John and Glenn had 1,200 students in six months. Some very illustrious ones, by the way. One of them, a California senator of some renowned out there named Don Rogers. Uh, one of the other students, I didn't get a chance to meet him, but I heard him referred to in the meetings that I went to, was a guy named Sir. They gave him the title of Sir Richard McDonald. He's deceased now, too, who was a California state citizen expert and educated a lot of people out there on state citizenship, which is the same thing we're talking about. Okay. So in those early days, one of the guys was from Nebraska. And he went back and he wrote the Secretary of State in Nebraska, and he said, could I get some sort of a letter or document stating that I'm a state citizen? Now, we didn't know to send it to the Secretary of State back then. All we needed to do was file it locally, okay? And so they sent him back a really beautiful letter. It had gold embossing on it and the seal of Nebraska and scrolls that went down each side and said, so-and-so is a proud Nebraska state citizen. And so all of us wanted one. Right. And so being from Florida, I wrote the secretary of state of Florida and said, can I get some sort of a documentation that I'm a state citizen? And he wrote me back. He said, hey, sorry, Bubba, 
we can't do that. The Secretary of State has exclusive jurisdiction over all matters uh, uh, surrounding citizenship. So there you go. It buttresses the case. Alan, you missed it. I'm not going to read it a third time, but I can send it to you now that Amanda I, and I, I are hooked up. So I'll, I'll fill him in. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so, uh, so Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, so here's what we, we did. And, of course, all you're doing, if you want to do that, uh, this is kind of the way I put it. Sorry to be so indirect. But if it makes you sleep better at night, then you go do it. Now, you may run into some problems because people have muddied the water here. Um, here's an example from yesterday. Uh, up in Boston, this black guy beheaded his landlord. Did y'all see that with a samurai sword? Nobody saw that story? I can't. I'm not surprised. Uh, black guy renting an apartment or something. The landlord was retired I forget, but he was considered to be the best bridge player in the entire northeast section of the United States. And they got in an argument, and the black guy started threatening him with the sword. He went to the cops on Friday and reported it, and they found him beheaded over the weekend. Terrible situation. Oh, yeah, well, hold on. It gets crazier. The, the perpetrator wouldn't talk. They arrested him. They got him. They wouldn't talk. He wouldn't take an attorney. He wouldn't, see, he wouldn't talk to anybody. If the only thing he said is go out to the glove box of my car and you'll find everything you need. And they went out there, and he's claiming to be a sovereign citizen. Do not fall into these word traps. There's somebody that's taken half-cocked patriot crap, people that were teaching what they didn't know the hell they were talking about, and it goes out and they reaching to the end effects of a black guy chopping somebody's head off with a samurai sword and claiming you ain't got no jurisdiction, I'm a sovereign citizen. Okay? So know your stuff. Uh, I mentioned yesterday, I think, Amanda and Allen, Judge Learned Hand and his great statement that to claim one's right, one needs to be a belligerent claimant. Right. And you, you cannot be belligerent if you don't know and understand and have command of the information. It's virtually impossible. They will steamroll you every time. If you don't believe me, let me bring Chris on. Chris, will they steamroll you every time? He's probably looking for his mute button. Uh, his life has been made hell by these people for the last five years uh, out in uh, the Las Vegas area. Okay, they, You'd cry if you heard the crap they put this guy through. But you cannot stand up and confront them if you don't know what you're talking about, quite frankly. Okay, So uh, that's why it's important. And you don't have to have the command of it. I do. You may want to. Daryl, other people want. You know, you get into this information and you got this unquenchable thirst. See? And I've still got it. After 28 years, I'm still thirsty. And you know what? I'm still figuring stuff out that I didn't understand before, too. So it's not an instant process. Your process is when you cross paths with the information. And for some reason, Alan and Amanda, there's something in you that resonated with this information. And you said, I'm following that. I'm going to see what's there. Same as it did me. Same as it did Daryl. 
virtually everybody's been touched by this that way. Now, the sad thing is it doesn't affect everybody like that. It's only a small percentage. So you can't get frustrated if people don't get it, goes over their heads, whatever, okay? Because some people are just flat meant to un to be drawn to it, and I don't think the majority of people are. And it goes back to the Old Testament, and it says, if because they have not a love of the truth, I will send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie. And the best of my 28 years, I think that's exactly what's going on today. So, what uh, what questions have you had? Well, Daryl's joined us too. I think Brent did, is along too. Uh, did you have any other questions, you guys? Immediately, um, the passport thing is fairly simple to to negotiate, but there's some very important things on there that buttress what we're talking about and that are also extremely interesting. Please go ahead with that. So I, I guess the answer to my question was I don't really need to file it any place except with the passport, filling out the passport. Well, right? once you've, they've received it, or you could say once it's been put in the mail because then it's considered received, your shackles are broken, okay? They have no way to rebut it. They can't rebut it without totally exposing themselves, and they do understand these lines even though we don't perceive that they do. See, our conditioning is in to where we're all into the merchant law game, and they can do anything they want. So automatically, like your friend Stoney thinks, well, they can do everything they want. They're going to throw those guys in jail. They can't. You don't understand there's two separate systems. They do. And they recognize it. And I've never had one case in 10 years that that isn't the, isn't the fact. Okay. Roger, I did have another question. Okay, good. Yeah, um, concerning this and the, uh, the, the tactics of it, I guess, more than anything else, is it um, advisable that you file your affidavit and let it sit for some period of time so that you can say it has been filed for three months, there have been no reports or claims on it and no written responses, so therefore it's executed. I don't think so. An affidavit, you're going up into a, a, an administrative court here. You understand there's two parallel systems they're running. They're running two parallel court systems. They've just got the other one where there's only one courthouse left that honors it and looks at it and has that jurisdiction, and that's the common law. We think it's harbored in the U.S. Court of Claims up in D.C., Alan. Everybody else is an Article Three court, which in essence is the old manorial court. And, okay. and the way I would prove that to you is that if you – and I've got a, a handout, John and Glenn handed out. If I ever do another book, it'll be in there. It's got every system of law listed. There's about eight systems of law, ecclesiastic, the king's bench, equity, maritime, etc. Okay, And if you went to that sheet, every one of the presiding officials is called something different. One of them, it's, a, you know, the judge and the other, it's your majesty, whatever. They're all different. And in the actions that are placed in the court, 
the procedure, if you will, the process, it's all different. You know, in one thing it's called a bill, another it's called a this. In common law, there's only eight, I believe, eight remedies, debt, debt new, uh, replevin. There's eight of them standardly known. And so over in the remedy section, though, which is something no patriots hardly ever talk about, they got those remedies over there, too, and they're different for the most part. And if you go into what's called self-help remedies, now you probably, Alan, don't know what those are under that label, but let me give you another example of them. Maybe you'll understand what they are. Lean, levy, garnishment, and seizure. Are all called self-help remedies, okay? And they only come from one body of law, and that's the merchant law. Law merchant, UCC, whatever you want to label it, okay? And the only two jurisdictions that that remedy has ever been available to in the history of the planet's legal systems are the law merchant itself and the manoral law from the feudal era because they use the merchant law on the feuds as their law system. Okay. So that pretty well dovetails it over into the fact that we're using the UCC. They use that to collect taxes. We're a big manor, and you're one of the, one of the sorry voluntary serfs. Okay, so no waiting time, no... No, I wouldn't, no. An affidavit, you know, the reason we suggest an affidavit, and if you don't know about this, you need to, an affidavit is considered the highest proof of truth in law, period, when it's properly formed, properly executed, meaning being notarized, and and presented to proper authority. If it stands unrebutted, you're the king of the mountain, buddy. Okay. And that's why, and you missed when I was reading this 1835 court case to Amanda, you missed it earlier, and I'll send it to you. But it's like it said, if that's what the Secretary of State has, that's what whatever gives him the fact of citizenship is what needs to be presented in a court as the higher and better evidence. And today, if you you and Amanda, when you do your application, I'm going to suggest you do it with a passport application. And if you go check it while it's in process, they will call your affidavit citizenship evidence in the back reaches of the State Department. They use that exact phrase, citizenship evidence. They very well know what the meaning of evidence is. Now, the other thing, if it's in the possession of the secretary, and this is what scares the woo-woo out of them. Now, because of that situation, it can be brought into any court and bypasses the rules of evidence, which is how they keep stuff out. It's just like a Black's Law Dictionary has what's called judicial notice, which means the judge notices it's Black's and you can put it into evidence without going through all that rigmarole. Now, on the passport application, if you'll notice it when you understand what system we're in, you can see that it reflects it in the passport application. Why is the passport application so important? It's because it's what's called an information-gathering request. 
where the federal government is gathering information from the public at large. Because it fits that requirement, it falls under a piece of legislation that came out of Watergate in that era, uh, a little after that, and it's called the Paperwork Reduction Act. I believe it's when Reagan maybe was trying to streamline government a little bit. And this Paperwork Reduction Act says that any information gathering request has to go to the Office of Management and Budget and go through a very, very strict adherence to all these constitutional principles before they will issue it a number. And then they can release it and gather public information. So it's a very stringent process. It's very interesting to go back into those descriptions of forms, by the way, and look at how they classify a 1040. (laughs) (laughs) Recapture gain. (laughs) So anyway, uh, that's important because it had to go through those stringent regulations, which means they had to adhere to everything. All right. So, uh, and, um, in there, they never ask you what you are. Have you have you looked at one of these yet, Alan or Amanda? One of these applications for passport? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I've filled out plenty of ap- passport applications. Oh yeah. Well, you'll 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 look you'll look at this one a little bit differently. The next one that you do. Do you both currently have passports? Yes. Okay. Uh, I would suggest that that you file the affidavit with a passport application because then your affidavit is attached to your ID. Okay. Uh, you, what you're saying is send a copy of that affidavit that we filed with sure. the passport application. Correct. And it tells you, you can do that. And, uh, in fact, your get out of jail free card is in that application, but you'd never find it if you didn't know what you're looking for. That's the advantage I had was being with 15 years with this information before I saw that document. I'd been looking for the key for all those years, man. And there it was right in front of me in the passport application. And the key to getting out of the system is in a warning box. You know, on dangerous drugs, they put what they call a black box warning where it's outlined black rectangle with big warning in bold letters. You got one of those in your passport application, too. And it says, warning, you can attach documentation, comma, including affidavits, comma. But if you lie, we're going to hit you with this section, that section. They'd string cite about 12 sections of the code there and scare the crap out of you. I I wouldn't want to file anything. Hell, they may do that to me. See their tactic? Okay. When I saw the word affidavit, I knew I had them. When I saw that word at the top of the first page on the first passport application I'd ever read and looked at closely, I knew I had them. Because they're telling you you can volunteer out right there. But they don't tell you you can volunteer out. They frame it in totally threatening, coercive language. So that's in the instructions. They've moved it around and changed it on the newer ones. It's buried in the instructions. used to be at the top on the front page of the initial one. I would suggest that you both do a renewal, no matter what year you're in, to your passport. 
uh, because sure. the warning box is in the renewal form also. Why is it in the renewal form and the original initial form? Because this is the feudal system, and you're in a condition of voluntary servitude, and in that condition, you could volunteer out at any time. That's why it's in the renewal form. Okay. Now, as you go through the actual filling out of the fourth page where the information is, also notice, now that we know what we're looking for here, we know the nature of the beast, if you will. You get down, it never asks you what you are. It says you can submit documents, including affidavits, but it does ask you who your parents are. Was your mother and father citizens of the United States? Most of us would answer yes. And so now the presumption is there. Well, they're serfs. That means you're a serf, unless you declare otherwise per the warning box. See how this is set up? Now, you go down a little bit further, and there's a big, bold line across the applications I've seen. I think it's probably still there. And it says in big letters, stop. Do not sign this form unless in presence of administrating official. Alan, you've been a pilot in the military. Have you ever had to sign a form in front of an administrating official? And if there's not one there, like a small post office out in nowhere, Texas, you got to go in front of a judge to sign it. Your passport application. Yep. Sounds a little unusual, doesn't it? Sure does. Okay, so when you get on under that and it gets down to the oath, now I'll tell you they've changed the oath of the passport application since I started teaching this. Now they've got, they covered their ass is what they've done. Um, the passport oath, which I'm sure very few people ever read, reads, I swear under penalty of perjury, there's that nasty little phrase again, I swear under penalty of perjury that I'm a citizen of the United States, parentheses, or a non-citizen national, close parentheses, and have not since acquiring United States citizenship, parentheses, or non-citizen nationality, broken any of the, the rules in terms and conditions listed on page so-and-so, the instructions. Now there's another parentheses here unless accompanying statement is attached. This is in the oath. Close parentheses. I swear under penalty of perjury, and they've added some stuff, but that's the meat of it. There it mentions status twice, but we get down to violating terms and conditions, and in the oath they tell you to attach an explanatory statement. Why the hell do they tell you to attach an affidavit up at the first of the form in a warning box? You don't think they're steering you away from it, do you? Roger, I have an important question. I okay. have a friend here with me. Yeah. She she is um her parents were not white and they were not born in the US. She was born in Las Vegas. Her family's from Cuba. Mm -hmm. Is she eligible to apply for something like this? She's a citizen of the United States, isn't she? Yes. Yes, yep. sir. Yep. 
Now, let's go back. We so were talking. Put in the first in the first section. Well, what we're yeah, I know, I understand that. There's a and and you can get. We've got blacks, we've got naturalized persons, and we've got regular old citizens of the United States. All three of them, they can't turn any of them away because everybody's the same status. What you're doing is just shifting the presumption of law away from you. In the in the big picture here, but doesn't matter. You'll qualify if you wanted to do this. Okay. Um, we were talking yesterday, and there's some talk about this birth certificate attachment, and this is one of those nuance points that I just came to this the other day. It hit me. Um, the Fourteenth Amendment says all persons. Well, that's a concept legal term, and that means are you receiving rights or owe benefits? And if you do, you're that person. If you don't, you're not. Okay? So it's saying all of this category of persons born, the tests are born or naturalized. So you've either got to be born in the United States or naturalized into that status and then the next test is and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, and subject. So you have to be subject and you have to be the birthright citizen or naturalized to be that person. That's what it's telling you, okay? So the first thing let's examine is what it doesn't say. And it doesn't say all persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, are subject to the jurisdiction thereof. It doesn't say you are, it says and. If there's some that are and, there's some that are and not. With me? Y'all with me? Okay, so there's the point I was thinking about with the people that insist that the birth certificate is the attachment deals with those tests. All persons born or naturalized. So if you're naturalized into the status, my question is, do they issue you a new birth certificate? Of course not. They just lock you into the tax system at the back end. Your birth certificate's been done however long at whatever age you're naturalized. The birth certificate is not the nexus is the point I'm trying to drive. Okay. It's the fact that this is a fraudulent system because of the bankruptcy in 1933 and your future labor was put in as surety to the debt. That presumption of law prevails until you rebut it in whatever manner with that one specific dude, the lord of the manor, the secretary of state, that decides people's status. And the presumption is you're that if you don't tell them explicitly you're the other. Now, what I was going to say about the passport application, if you'll, when you see your new one, underneath the oath, they've got a couple of little check mark things. And the one they've added is I have read and understand the warning box on page so and so of the instructions. They covered their ass. That's what they did. So they are reacting to this information. Uh, right after the book was published, there in, in 2011, there was a piece of legislation called the NDAA, 
you particularly remember that, Amanda, with all this crap that's flown at us. And you may, because it's where Obama signed it on January or December 31st in the middle of the night where they could go out and arrest, identify United States citizens as terrorists and throw them in jail arbitrarily. I can add a little to that. Well, I don't know that they're need what what we're going to add. Don't embellish it too much because that isn't where I was going. Well, that's okay. It's ten United States Code twenty three sixty eight, the Strom Thurmond National Defense Authorization Act of nineteen sixty one, but that was a nineteen fifteen iteration by Obama. Okay. Well, what he did was sign that, and then about. Four months later, I wake up one morning, I'm looking at the headlines, and Joe Lieberman, co-signed by Chucky the Schmucky Schumer, had sponsored a bill in the Senate to attach all of the NDAA remedies to U.S. nationals. That's how much this scared him. Okay. They never got any co-sponsors. It never went anywhere. It never could go anywhere. They can't do that under God-given rights. It's called tyranny. But that's how they knee-jerk reacted. They've changed the oath in the passport application since we started teaching this. They're very aware up there. And my speculation is every one of these affidavits that hits up there, their sphincter muscle tightens a little bit because they know one more person knows. So, uh, Amanda, you got any other preguntas? Uh, not, not at the moment. Okay. I think uh, I'm just absorbing. Still. Okay. The, what I really would encourage, I'm really glad y'all came on, took the time to be with us, and we can go over these basics because I, I cannot stress how important it is to have a good command of those things. Um, I'll give you a reference. There's a YouTube, somebody clabbered together a couple of programs I did 10 years ago and stuck it up on YouTube and it's called the science of law it's about two and a half hours long maybe close to three there's a lot of really good information in there that they don't want you to learn learn or know because once Excellent. you learn this this is what I promise I can't promise you many things but I can promise you this once you learn this they can never fool you again. They Sounds can't, good. They can't fool you because they're fooling you on the word person and resident and citizen of the United States and all these damn phrases and words they've equivocated and then conditioned us like Pavlov's dogs over to the other side. Now, what's technically happening, you being a medical person, I got this from Dr. Bruce Lipton. I'm assuming you, you know who he is. And in a lot of his research uh, uh, is what gave me a lot of the basis of what's going on here. They've taken over your subconscious mind and conditioned you to the dialectical definition of these words. And they have taken over your consciousness because your subconscious is 90% of your being and your conscious is only 10%. Okay, And so once you identify how they've done it, double tying your mind in knots with opposite definitions, you can go back in and straighten those out. And there's a bunch of them to straighten out. They're very effective at this, okay? And every time you do, you get another slice of consciousness back. 
So that's why I'm saying it's a process, and that's the process. And every time you get more consciousness back, you get more empowered. And that scares the hell out of them. Welcome, Daryl. Brent. G. Oh, I got a G. Who's G? Well, this is the email, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Hey, man. Yeah, so I called, thought I'd call in case you all had some question for me. Well, well, before Amanda and Alan got on, we read Jeffrey's letter, and it goes back, and this gets kind of technical for the newer folks, but it goes back. And you want to just go ahead and give them a, a thumbnail of it, and we can talk about it a little, Jeff. It is interesting. I think you uh, summarized it quite well. Okay, well, I read his email. He 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 filed an affidavit in 2017. He's got all the documentation, passport, this. He's got notice everywhere. Every job he's had since, he checked. We came up yesterday, the I-9. I think about your one of your children, Amanda, somebody you guys knew. Um, he's every I-9 he's checked. He's a U.S. national. He never had any problem getting a job, any of that. All of a sudden... He's got a, a deal with the de Texas Traffic Department who, who want him to come in and in person because he's they've ticked him as a non-citizen. And they want to make sure he got the right address and that he's who he says he is because they don't understand the fraud. Jeff, did you get my answer? Whenever that does come up, you'll want to go in with a copy of that State Department document, Certificate of Non-Citizen Nationality, and put that oh, yeah. first sentence of the third paragraph right under their nose. Oh, yeah. In my mind, I'm locked and loaded. <clears throat> so there's another issue that uh, sort of pertains to this. And that was, <clears throat> I have two employers. The first one, healthcare related. They didn't have work for me, so I wasn't occupied with them for a year and a half. I was doing another job. March 30th, I got furloughed. Okay. Well, a couple of weeks ago, that previous employer called me to come in for some work, except I would have to come in person to their office and fill out a new W-4 because just weeks before that, I had by certified mail sent them a W-4T terminating the prior w4 oh so i go in show them my no mask card uh -huh. and then they put the w4 in front of me and i told them well i'm already receiving social security benefits so you know i choose to not make any more contributions to social security how do i fill out the w4 with 10 dependents so that i don't get dinged for Social Security. And they said, oh, well, we'll have to talk to our Social Security expert and we'll get back to you. Haven't heard a word since. <laughs> when was that? A couple of months ago? Uh, about five weeks ago. Okay. Um, but that's a different issue. It is. And hopefully, you know, the ideal candidate, if you, if you want to use that phrase, that comes to our table here is somebody that has their own business and has a clean slate with the IRS and not yep. a bunch of problems because this stuff isn't going to work 
retroactively for you. That's okay? right. Uh, but you can, especially if you've got those criteria, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, file the affidavit and move forward because you can sever. And I was going to send this to you guys last night, Amanda, over our new Telegram connection, and I may still do that. It's a letter I wrote for one of our listeners that did this, and the IRS came back with their usual tactic of frivolous filing penalties, and I wrote them a pretty good letter uh, that, uh, that that we didn't file anything. And basically, well, hello. I hope you won. hope you won, Brent. Um, and... Oh, that's a phone. I thought he was playing Pac-Man or something. Um, <laughs> you never know what's going to come up on the program here. There you go. Well, and now I've forgotten where I was. So, hold on. I can. Mo- I can. Okay, that was Daryl. Oh, that's Daryl's stuff. Okay, I thought it was Brent. Um, and I forgot where I was, but. Uh, there's a lot of complications. I don't have the answer to everybody's particular nuancy situations. And that's why when these situations like Jeff has come up right here, that we having knowledge and understanding can go in and press the envelope and start getting some answers. Cause that's how you really find out the answers. You guys weren't, uh, Alan and Amanda weren't here when we were talking about the, um, uh, Brian Howard, who you met yesterday briefly, that took a case on trying to get a non-resident driver's license, and it went all the way to the director of transportation of the state of Idaho, and this guy was scared as hell to deal with him. Okay, I mean, You could see his trepidation in, just in the correspondence. So, interesting. You put them on a real defensive because you're exposing their fraud, and they don't know how to deal with it when they can't just slap you down because they can't slap you down anymore or they risk losing everything they own. Roger, I think I'm going to have to tell them that I am not that resident. Yeah, that's what you, I, my residency is not tied to the 14th Amendment. It's what you want to say. Hopefully that was in your affidavit, you know, if you added that at the last. What I was going to say a minute ago, this was t- addressing Alan and everybody else, you are in two court systems. There's an administrative state court system, and it is a court of record, and then you're in the other court system. But the way the system is set up, you can't just go to a courtroom and file file a case. Many times, if you're going to try and sue an agency or dealing with them, they're going to go, you have to exhaust your administrative remedies. What does that mean? It means go back to the guy agent you're dealing with and work your way up through the administrative process of appeals. And everything that you send them and a copy of everything that they send you has to be, by the Administrative Procedures Act, placed in your folder because it's a court of record. And should you get to a real court, excuse me, they'll go back and get that evidence in your folder again is admissible into court and bypasses the rules of evidence because it's already been in court it's a matter of record but we don't see it as that but that's what it is so what you're doing when you're filing the affidavit with the secretary of state is you're addressing their administrative side of this okay and then they accept it or else they have to rebut it and there's no 30 days or two years or any of that stuff. Here it is. Here's my statement. If something's wrong, 
get me under penalty of perjury and throw me in jail. And they take this passport application stuff damn seriously. All right. And I'll give you an example. About 10 years ago in your state, up in Jacksonville, there was a retired, I believe he was a retired Marine, Army or Marines, may have been Army. He'd been at Guantanamo Station down there protecting all those prisoners and stuff. And he had applied for a passport previously, but he didn't sign it. It was an incomplete form, and for some reason he sent it to him. And then nothing happened, obviously. Years went by, and he went to apply for a passport again now that he's retired military. And he checks. There's a passport check form. Have you ever applied for a passport before? You, you'll see that in there. And he checked no, and they threw him in jail for months. He had to appeal to Nelson, Senator Nelson to get him out of jail. That's how seriously they take passport fraud up there. And never in 10 years have I had any blowback from, reported from anybody, and the strongest defense they've got, and they don't do it anymore, uh, is send out this bluff letter which says, it basically, it appears by what you've submitted that you're a person born and naturalized in the, in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, blah, 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 except by operation of law. And everybody that got one rebutted that statement on that phrase, and everybody got a passport to my knowledge. And now you analyze that a little bit and scratch your head and go, is that the best defense they've got? In 10 years, that's the best defense they've got? It appear, Well, it appears to me that you're a sorry, satanic, Edomite piece of crap. How about that? Mr. Slave Master? They're running a slave game here. History slavers are running a slave game. Imagine that. Brent, is that you with us again today? No, I know Daryl's over there. I'm talking about Mr. B. Mr. B is usually yes, is. Brent. Hey, Brent. Hey, Roger. Brent's been hey, listening to my stuff for almost 30 years, <laughs> Amanda and Allen. He's one of our old-time Atlanta guys. He looks like an offensive lineman or defensive in the National Football League and big old black guy, and he drives buses out in Las Vegas now. And He's a hell of a good friend and a hell of a good friend of the show. So we're glad to have you, Brent, always. Um, so y'all, any more questions for the table or uh, discussions, any way you'd like to take it, something you'd like to add, uh, uh, embellish perhaps, Daryl? A man of few words, well, Daryl. Our friend Daryl. I think you covered it pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, as, a, as an introductory, uh, you know, Alan being a retired airline uh, I can just tell you, Alan, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've come at this at a, 
very critical from a very critical perspective, and uh, I treated it. I have at, at every step in the way, and, and Alan, I'll appreciate what I'm about to say. I, I've treated it all as a jeopardy event, uh, and, and Alan understands that. What that means, and uh, I've had uh, had absolutely zero blowback, and uh, uh, I, I just, I guess, I just really just want to say that, and that. Uh, I, I've had I've had nobody uh, ever try to rebut me, and uh, so but you, you, procedurally you have to do it all in the in the correct way, and uh, you, you do have to be kind of anal about how you cross your teeth, not your eyes, and uh, you know understanding the information uh, is a part of that, and of course filling just filling out the application and the affidavit and. Uh, Forming it correctly and all these things is just part of that. Uh, crossing your T's and dotting your eyes. Of course, your ex-military, your ex-airline. You know, you get the flight release from the dispatch. You know, the gate agent and I don't know. Probably comes over your A cards now, right? You don't get a stack of papers in, in your cockpit like you used to. But, you know, you get your dispatch release, and you know you have to look it over because you know the captain's going to sign off on, right? And so. Uh, you, you, you have to look through it, so it's it, you know it's along these lines. Uh, but I, I've been in, I've been at this for like six years now, and uh, it's just been. Uh, well, it's it's actually the after I understood what was going on, it was the only thing I could do. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, you know and to me, Daryl, it's yeah. like having two lives. I had a life before I knew this stuff, and then I've had a life since, and my life since has been so much more fulfilling and rewarding. And I had a pretty good life, number yeah. one, you know? Well, I did too, yeah. Well, and, and I still do. I, I have a great life. And uh, we do a lot of things around here that don't involve uh, chewing our fingernails and, and looking over our shoulder. We, that, that doesn't happen around here. Uh, and uh, But I, after I understand, after I understood... And, and had things in context, Alan. Uh, I uh, I couldn't knowingly be a hypocrite. I, I literally, I, I just couldn't go to that mirror and look at it and go, "You're a hypocrite," okay? And uh, because identity and integrity and credibility are really big on my list of. Uh, personal characteristics and because I don't I don't do well around people that don't incorporate those into their life right and so I couldn't knowingly know what I know and then pretend I did and uh, so uh, it, it takes it takes a certain degree of confrontation you and the thing that you have to I think a lot of people have to learn how to do is learn how to uh, confront conflict. And of course, uh, airline pilots are trained to confront conflict in an appropriate way. Uh, is that not, is that not an accurate statement? Alan? Or, or if it, or, do you agree with that? 
He's not on here right now, Daryl. Okay. He looks like oh, he had okay. to get off, but I'm taking notes oh, from him since okay. you are addressing him. Yeah, well, you're, you're his wife. You're his yep. wife, you know, airline pilot, you know, God bless all the women who can put up with an airline pilot. Okay. <laughs> because they're, it, it, she's laughing, but I, listen, I, we, we could go on for hours and talk about these things and, and have our own little uh, conversation. But, but airline pilots are characters. And they they have to be reminded when they come home that they're not still in the cockpit. <laughs> and every once in a while, and and usually the, the the wife of an airline pilot or somebody who's involved with them uh, are typically now this isn't a hundred percent, but this comes right out of the the human factors study on airline pilots is that their their spouses or significant others. Are usually uh, of a high level of caring and nurturing, and that <laughs> it, it seems like airline pilots need that. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's very interesting stuff. He, uh, psychology, little. You know, well, I'm a naturopath, so I guess I fall in that category. I, we do. And, and the interesting thing, uh, interesting thing. It doesn't matter if the airline pilot is a man or a woman. If she's if the airline pilot is a woman, her husband is usually very caring and nurturing. <laughs> it, it's 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 very interesting. It's not gender. So this comes right after. It's not gender yeah, specific. Yeah. So airline pilots, uh, whether they're male or female, uh, and I can attest to this personally uh, from a real experience and in, in the training environment. They both demonstrate the same characteristics for the most part. Okay, and uh, so it, it, it's uh, in the cockpit. It's a very gender-neutral uh, environment. I've, I've I've seen some I've seen some uh, female uh, airline pilots that uh, were you could almost call them the ace of the base. You know, they were serious serious cats. And uh, the driving airplane. So, uh, you know, it's it's all interesting. I, I co-sign beer doctor. I'm I'm prone to do that, Amanda. He can do that easily, Amanda. Can do we have any other questions that we could address that you have? Um, and if not, I, I I had something I wanted to mention to you. Nothing else right now, Roger. But thank you, and thank you, Daryl. Um, just listen. I would uh, suggest, and it's this person, so I'm going to give you an example. It's a guy that lives somewhere in your neighborhood down there. I hope he's still with us. Uh, he had some health issues the last time we crossed paths. His name is Jim Prentice, and he was one of the homicide investigators for 20 years down there in Naples, Florida. And when he was in the police departments, when he stumbled onto this, and he, it's like he said one day, I was saying there's two sets of law books in the law library, and he said, he said, Roger, I noticed it. When I was in Florida, I was doing legal work in the law library, and there's two sets of law books in there. Well, after he retired, he got into this more in earnest, and he was a research group director for a really, really good researcher who's no, long, no longer with us, of course, out of Oklahoma named Dan Metter. And he was one of Dan Metter's research team directors. And two weeks after the uh, book was out, he sent me an email. And he said, Roger, your book's a masterpiece, first of all. And he said, I've read it 
10 times in two weeks, and I've gotten something different out of it every time. So what I would suggest for you guys, as I do for everybody, is at least read the legal argument, the back half of that book, twice. There's a lot in there, and that is uh, goes a lot towards with that video, audio tape on YouTube, The Science of Law, that goes a lot back to your foundation. Okay, And it's this old English law. You know, it's sitting... I like to phrase things real simply, if possible, in a scenario. Let's do a what-if scenario. Let's say two or three hundred years ago, we're a bunch of old satanic, greedy, no, don't care about anybody but ourselves, Edomite folks, and we're sitting around, and, boy, we've been persecuted for so long, we can trick these guys, let's take over the world. And you're coming up with that goal, and how do you approach that from that point forward? Do you go and say, all right, well, listen, we don't know what's going to happen two, three hundred years in the future. But if we plan these systems like this, they can handle all the contingencies. Well, that's impossible. Okay. What they could do is sit back and look backward and say, well, we got these systems here have been used for thousands of years. All we got to do is change a few of the words and stuff, and we'll just, we'll just put it right over their necks, and they won't even know what it is. Now, which one of those two scenarios do you think they're going to do? Obviously the latter. Okay? So that's why you always go back, and you can see the feudal system. It's hard for us to visualize it because most of us don't know anything about it. They, and I would dare say we've intentionally not been exposed to it as much as possible. We've been exposed to all the slavery stuff, Kunte, Kente, and Roots, and all the other stuff, but we don't know jack about the feudal system. And that's what they're using on us. When you really intellectualize it, it is. I played a clip of the Matrix from the Matrix here the other day, a little short clip of it. And, and Morpheus is sitting there talking to that guy, and he's going, you're born into it. It's all around you. You can't see it. You can't feel it. But you know it's there. Isn't this the Matrix? This merchant law that we don't have any relatability to in this feudal system that we absolutely can't identify that surrounds us and blocks us. And if it doesn't come out and touch us directly by sending agents in, we get out on the road and we run into one of their agents or you go somewhere else and run into one of their agents. It's like he said, you can't see it. You don't know it's there, but you can feel it. And that's what it is. Whoever wrote that script for that movie knew what's going on, which is my guess. I'm a big fan of The Matrix. I, I first saw it in the theaters when it came out, when it first released, and then I watched it several times in the first year. And then uh, I have all the copies of it, and I usually watch them all at least once a year. Uh, and uh, not because it has all the answers, but it's, it's a great... Uh, it's it's great uh, sort of uh, I don't know I would call it spiritual. How about it's sort of uh, it's sort of yeah allegory yeah allegory it, it reveals the uh, it reveals it uh, <clears throat> from a symbology from a from a symbolic or almost of a uh, 
esoteric from point of view. Uh, but one of the things that Morpheus talks about in there, and you see it in every movie of the Matrix, there's three of them, is that they talk about the glitch. The glitch in the Matrix. And where you'll you'll be in the Matrix, but then all of a sudden you'll, as in the movie, they would see a black cat walk across the doorway, and then you would look back, and then it would do it again, and that's what they called the glitch. And, and so the glitch is a contradiction. And so the Matrix isn't perfect. There are contradictions in it, and those are the glitches that are in the Matrix. And so I use that as a, as a, as a metaphor. And uh, so the, the, the glitch that you're seeing is that you believe that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a mental, psychological glitch in your conditioning and training. You think you're this man or woman with uh, constitutional rights and the Bill of Rights, and actually you're under the scope purview and prerogative of the uh, 14th Amendment, which means that you have civil rights. And the civil rights, when push comes to shove, civil rights contradict what you perceive were your Bill of Rights. And that's that that is really the, the, a big part of the mind game that's been played on on everybody. Why they can't they can't pass through that veil is that they are convinced they're this one thing while they're actually under uh, and, and have consented to be uh, unwittingly consented to be uh, under this uh, basically a formal law. Yeah, a man. Uh, anytime yeah. you hear anybody claiming their constitutional rights are being taken away or saying anything about their constitutional rights, you can be dead set no that they don't know what they're talking about because the only rights that that document gives you are under the 14th Amendment, and they're called civil rights. The others God gives you, not the document. These little... Little things that once you really start learning and understanding this and you start looking at videos and seeing stuff and your life moves forward and you're going to say, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's just like the people that say they make money out of thin air. They don't make money out of thin air. You ever know a, a banker that makes a loan without collateral? Probably not, not unless he's, it probably might not even be your family member. He'd still charge you, you know, compound interest and make, put up collateral. So what they don't understand, and you hear a lot of these commentators saying that we're in a neo-feudal system, you're in economic slavery, and they use all of these descriptors. Well, what they don't know is you're in real bondage you're in voluntary servitude and you're a piece of property just like they were a thousand fifteen hundred years ago on the continent of europe but roger's making a great point and uh, we've seen over the last several months roger haven't we uh, three or four articles where people are using this in their titles of their articles and their and their, and their talks and they're they're relating it to the economic situation of that p and itch and corporation and uh, so they're relating to it and they're using the terminology but they i have yet yet one time to have one of them be able to identify the law that 
the neo-feudal system is being conducted. Not one of them has done that. They have not. They still don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I've been in the movement for almost 30 years, and I've never heard anybody else say it. The, the only one that I've been hearing lately sort of nibble around the edges is one of my favorite uh, people to listen to uh, for other reasons. It's Catherine Austin Fitz. And she came out with a phrase here about three months ago with the, uh, as it related to the vaccine, uh, cryptocurrency, and the Fed. And she said that what they want to do is roll this as a, as a transition into what could be called a reset. They want to perfect the collapse. They, and, want, they want to perfect uh, what? This, I, I miss that. Perfect the what, Daryl? Collateral. Oh, of course. Now, so so in 1913 with the Fed, and then subsequently with the 16th Amendment and the uh, uh, the Internal Revenue, and then uh, later, what was that? Uh, always get that date mixed up, Roger. 42 with the uh, income tax code. 50, every step of the way. 54. 51? Oh, yeah. It was after Brown versus the Board of Education. They perfect, they, they get, uh, from an analog point of view and from a paperwork point of view and from a political point of view, they've been perfecting the collateral. And now with technology and computer, they want to take it the rest of the way with total, absolute perfection of the collateral, which they can do with technology. Okay. So, this system that this debt peonage and uh, uh, human trafficking uh, situation for the collateral, you being the collateral, they are now getting ready to take it. Did you think they were going to stop? <laughs> they, no, they just want to perfect it to the nth degree. And, and, uh, and they can do that with what they're trying to roll out. So anyway, I found, it very, I found her, her insight very interesting. Daryl, I'm sorry, who was that? Catherine, Catherine Austin Fitz. It's Catherine with a, uh, I believe it's C. Um, you can find her work on the uh, Solari Report. It's uh, S-O-L-A-R-I. And um, uh, every once in a while, Roger is so gracious as to... Uh, allow some of us to connect behind the scenes or if somebody wants to. So if you were Alan, like wanted to connect with me behind the, off the air, uh, you know, we could probably work that out. Would love to. Yeah. Well, I, I can set yeah. that up. We can facilitate that. Catherine um, Austin Phipps. Catherine Austin Phipps. She's quite yeah. a gal, Amanda. She used to be the second assistant secretary at HUD and saw how this stuff works on the inside. She's got some very unique viewpoints. And uh, she's worked very closely with this guy, Mark Skidmore, who's a Ph.D. in public finance at Michigan State University. Have you heard anything about the missing $21 trillion? Um, Was that something to do with 9-11? No. 
No, they, no. they, they're combined. It's the same bunch, obviously, but he went back and he heard Catherine talk about missing millions and he didn't believe it. So he went back with a team of his PhD candidate students and did a thorough, uh, uh, investigation accounting of public statements. And he found 21 missing trillion out of just two agencies, department of defense and HUD. Roger. Yeah. You want, you want the, you want the update now? Sure. Uh, they're, they're up to uh, six, they're up to 60 trillion. And, uh, depending upon what they come up with here, uh, it, it's going to be well in excess of 100 trillion. Probably is. So, uh, uh, this is this what to do with the FASB 56 order that came out last year uh, in that uh, they do not, the, the federal government now um, and the uh, general accounting office and uh, whoever keeps the books uh, have made it uh, legal that they don't have to show their books to anybody and they can do whatever they want to. And uh, But you, you're required to pay them. But they don't have to show you the books. And this basically, this is a... Heads they win, uh, tails you right, lose. Right. Unless you file an affidavit. <laughs> file an affidavit, you can start yeah. winning again. Well, you, you, you can come out of it. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be compliant, complacent, or complicit. And, uh, you know, uh, this, this, uh, th these acts of uh, incrementally moderating your values is is very destructive to your, your spirit and your soul situational ethics you start accepting situational yeah. ethics you know yeah. oh it's all right over there but it's not all right over yonder yeah but when, when you're dealing with anybody who proclaims situational ethics you're you're in the presence of somebody who's identifying themselves along the wire of course <laughs> once you start to once you go down that road how do you stop okay. a clearly so, tangible side effect that one can see clearly is I started working when I was about 10 and a half years old so I had lots of contributions to the so-called socialist security act and I went down to apply for mine I waited till I was 65 so I get the full benefit figuring I'd need everything and I put in my affidavit of status with it and didn't choose to be a U.S. citizen. And the tangible effects that I can see on my check every month is I get a fairly good amount of money back from Social Security, but they only keep $4. That's the full extent of the extractions. They say, of course, I'm not signed up for Obamacare or Hitlercare or uh, what's Mingle, 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 Mingle care was the other one. Yeah, none of that stuff for me. But uh, uh, having them only keep four dollars out is pretty noteworthy. Um, Amanda, there's also other things you may want to get into. We hadn't even hardly got into the tax issue at all. As I said, the best thing anybody can do is have a clean slate because then you can put the IRS on notice that this affidavit's on file with the Secretary of State. I'll send you a copy of that letter that I wrote for Shane and give you a little taste of how you deal with those creeps. But, uh, with the okay. exception of two sections of the code and there, if you have any of that income, file it and pay them. Okay. 
And one of them is. And where can I find that? Okay. Well, 871B and 877B and the regulations there under. Okay. And I had somebody contesting me on this the other night, one of our good students. Daryl, I sent you. He's the guy that sent me that link I sent you last night on that book, which I hope you'll order because yeah. I'm dying to find out what's in there. But he, he keeps coming back on, no, it says this here in this regulation. Then and then he starts sending me regulations. And I said, you know, you don't even know the meaning of the words you're reading there. What's the meaning of income? What about office? What about trade or business? What's all the definitions and concepts behind those terms that are right there that you don't understand? Okay? So uh, you can't read well, these. The, only, the, the reason our community has had so little success is they've been trying to fight them that way. They have intentionally set that up and all these tricky definitions and all these things that twist your mind in knots so that you won't beat them. That thing is set up like that as a def as layers of defense. And what we devised a way to do is to step outside their their fence. You want to they call it in military, they call it doing a flanking maneuver. We did a flanking maneuver on their defenses. We went back to their headquarters, and there was the old Secretary of State General sitting there, and he didn't even have any guards, and we slid his throat figuratively. Yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty figurative. Uh, so what I try to share with everybody, once they actually take the, take the line in the road and go down this other path and, and commit to it, is to try to, uh, you'll probably appreciate this, Amanda, and I know Alan would, you have to have some reference material. <clears throat> because you're, you're walking into uh, an area of language and literacy that heretofore uh, you weren't expected, nor did they want you to have any uh, confidence in. So there's there's two, two reference books that I would highly recommend. Uh, and one is the uh, American Dictionary of English Language, uh, Merriam-Webster, 1828. Yep. Uh, 1828 version. Do not, nothing later. You, you won in 1828. And the other one is a uh, Black's Law, fourth or sixth edition. And that is a good place to, to have those actually hard copies in your hand so that when you hear us talk, or you're reading things, or we're having communications, or you're hearing words and terms, word terms, uh, you can literally and, and should be able to look those up so that you understand what the legal definitions are and the lawful definitions are versus the, the general accepted colloquial uh, common, common knowledge uh, definitions are. And... Uh, <clears throat> And to give you a great example of that, the word resident is full of that, okay? <laughs> you can play with that. They can play with that word, and you will never know you've been pumped. Yeah. Okay? Uh, what happens when you go look at it, man? if you hear Roger talking about it or somebody else, you heard somebody talking about it, you may have learned it or not. But when you go look at it in black and white in those sources, now you've made it yours. And that's what I try and encourage everybody to do, especially on these key important things. Make that information yours. It's not just something somebody said. It's something I saw. Excellent. I appreciate well, that. I was thinking the other day that I 
really wanted to find out what other reference books or other books to read um, because you said to basically continue learning and I'm not sure where to go for that. Well, I, I will tell you, like I said, and I stress this, is this is a process. It's not an event. And you're going to be going through the process probably uh, the, to, to your last day. Yeah. Well, Roger, don't, but I, I really do believe that when you, when you have a, a, an interested uh, applicant to, for this information that with, with yourself and Chris and uh, if I could myself and others that are here and the resources we have, you can take somebody who's actually motivated at this point and not eliminate the process by any means, but you can shortcut it. You can, you can, the learning curve oh, oh, absolutely. Is, is much deeper and, and you can, you can gain a level of competency and understanding and capability far quicker. And okay? I, you can cut it, cut it down for 20 years to, to, uh, you know, couple, six months. Yeah. With, without question. And I didn't mean to paint too negative a thing on that. What I meant by it was I've known this information for years. I've been continuing to learn, but what strikes me is even now I'll come on these nuances. Like I went over and earlier, if the birth certificate is the nexus to the system and you're naturalized, do they issue you a new birth certificate? Well, I would have never thought of that years ago. Because I didn't understand it enough. You know, the Bible says, above all, seek understanding. It doesn't say seek knowledge. It says seek understanding. And that's what I meant. But I, I, you'll yeah. stumble on well, things a, a few years down the road, and you'll go, that's why that is. Boom. Like that. I'm sorry, Daryl. Go ahead. We're running out of time. No, no, no. I... I I'm not trying to rebut what you said because uh, that's that is in scripture, but uh, also in scripture it says my people perish for lack of knowledge. It sure does. So, yeah. So you, you know, knowledge doesn't mean you have understanding. Okay. All right. So you, you know, you can take all this information in, in the book and all this other information and all the resources that are here, and, and without having some of it teased apart, complete understanding of it uh, will escape very you. difficult. Will escape you. Well, let me yeah. not neglect saying hello to Harvey, who kind of slipped in the back door here at the end. Hey, Harv. Ed, I was listening um, on the other device. Okay. No, well. Herman Cain passed away this At, morning. Mentioned it started out the show with that. Very unfortunate loss. Um, we'll miss him, and uh, certainly his efforts in these coming trial days. Um, Brent will be back with us tomorrow. I guess he'll be back home maybe, maybe not. Anyway, he usually goes out of his way to be with us, and we appreciate him. That's the first day y'all called in last week. Amanda, if you haven't gotten a, a taste of Brent yet, I highly advise that you do. Uh, he's really one of the foremost authorities, I think, in the country these days on the common law uh, and everything else under the sun. He's an amazing, amazing guy, and we're tickled to have him with us on a regular basis, and that'll be again tomorrow. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, any other parting comments or questions or something? Because we're getting pretty close. 
Guess not. Amanda, don't, I don't want you to think you're taking a drink out of a fire hydrant here, okay? And that's why we try and break it down simply in concepts so you can kind of digest this one bite at a time. And it's just a one building block adds to another building block of understanding, etc. And we'll be right here to help you or anybody else that wants to learn this. I appreciate it. Thank you all for your time and help today. You're very welcome. I mean, I can't tell you how important this is to me and my personal life on a day-to-day basis. My my life revolves around these two hours and being and interacting with y'all and helping people learn how to get free and let them learn just exactly who and how treacherous this enemy is. They are absolutely treacherous. So we'll be back tomorrow with Brent. Amanda, keep writing your questions down, okay? And uh, you guys will see you in the morning. Have a good day. Thanks, Jeff, for joining us, by the way. You're welcome. Hasta la vista. Hasta la vista, Senor Chris. Adios, Jim Ram is next, by the way. I don't say that often enough, and I forget it, and... Jim Ram. Amanda, if you're not familiar with Jim, he is uh, pretty good in the health area, too. Uh, so he's a, another very good resource. He's a retired cop, and he's had his affidavit filed for years. So uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. Jim's next. Ciao.